0: Good morning, church. It's good to be with you all. Um, as always, a joy to worship with you and to help lead you in worship as we open the scriptures momentarily. Um, Jonathan said this has been grueling. Holy smokes, I am I am feeling it. there's been a lot going on. Um, and of course, you know, got uh snotty and sick and everything this week. So forgive me. I've got a Kleenex on me, but I'm down there like nightmare of a sneeze happening or something, so <laughs> appreciate your prayers, um, but yeah, it is, it is truly an honor, um, and I want to uh, give a little bit of a longer intro than, than normal uh, to kind of give you guys a sense of uh, our experience over the last year and, and some of the context leading up to today. Um, one year ago, September 2021, we were at our annual campus pastors retreat in Muskegon, Maranatha Retreat Center on the west side of the state. Um, all the campus pastors and our wives were there. And uh, we got there Sunday evening, finished up our Monday morning session. And right after that, John Morales, the campus pastor of Royal Oak, you guys know well, John came up to me after the morning session and said, hey, CT, sit with me at lunch, man. I want to sit with you. I said, yeah, cool. It's great, John. I'll, I'll find you. And then um, <clears throat> Steve Zarelli walked up to me separately. Our Uh, executive pastor of campusing, And Steve said, hey, CT, uh, sit with me at lunch, man. I want to sit with you. I'm like, okay, yeah, John said, but whatever. And then Chris Brooks came up to me, our senior pastor. (laughs) And he said, CT, I want to sit with you at lunch. And at that point, I'm like, oh, snap. (laughs) What did I do? I'm like scanning back over the last year of my life, like, I am so fired. What did I do? (laughs) But we made it to lunch, and we sit down together, and um, John lets me know that he's leaving Woodside Royal Oak to go to Oak Point and be the lead pastor there in Novi, and that they would like for me to pray and consider replacing him at Woodside Royal Oak. And right away, I was shocked, speechless. I think I went to get my water and spilled it. I was like (laughs) shocked that John was leaving, and I was shocked that I was being asked to consider replacing him. It was so humbling, such an honor to even be thought of to fill this role. I've thought highly of John for a long time. We've looked up to this church for some time, and many of the people here, Andrew and Andy, John and Anna, their wives have been a blessing to us over the last decade plus. So I was deeply humbled to be asked to consider it. And we had several weeks to think and pray and fast and seek counsel. And that's what we did over the course of the next few weeks. But at the end of that time, the same thought had stuck with me as I had had the first time I heard about the possibility back in Muskegon. The same thought stuck with me And it was that it was the right opportunity at the wrong time. It was a right opportunity. It was a role that would allow me to focus more on the things that I'm passionate about, focus more on the things that I'm best at, preaching, teaching, writing, discipleship, pastoral care, leadership development, training other preachers. It would allow me to focus on those things and focus less on the things I'm not as good at, I'm not as passionate about, because there would be more people on the team who could fill those roles. So it was the right opportunity. It was a great opportunity. But as I said, it was the wrong time. Um, At Lapeer, we had a new kids ministry director had started within the last couple of months of that time. Our new worship and life groups director had started within a week of that time. And I just thought, you know, now is not a good time to leave these guys. Furthermore, my heart was just, not open to leaving. I could never get to a place where I really wanted something new. And I thought a lot about 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, where the apostle says that pastors should shepherd eagerly and not under compulsion. And I thought, I just don't have that eagerness, that drive to leave Lapeer and go to Royal Oak. So I said, no. I turned down the offer, and I put my head down and focused on Lapeer, and we moved on. And our central leadership team moved on, too, looking for other candidates into the winter, spring, summer months of the year. And over the course of that time, um, there were two other candidates who came really close, but eventually, around June and July, fell through. And it was about that time, coincidentally, that Meg and I were hosting Steve Zarelli and his family at our home for dinner. And Steve was sharing about these two pastoral candidates and his disappointment that things didn't work out. And then he just kind of jokingly said to me, you know, there was this guy, C.T. Eldridge, that I wanted to hire. (laughs) And then it just kind of came out of me. I hadn't planned on saying it, but I responded to him, you know, I think I may be open now. I think we may be open to this conversation. And he perked up, said, that's great. I'm going on a mission trip for a couple weeks. You guys discuss it, pray about it, and we'll connect when I get back. So two weeks later, end of July, he gets back, and I told him, we want to take the next step. What does that look like? So he said, let me get you on the preaching calendar. I was able to make it work August 23rd. That's when I got on the schedule to come and preach here. But during those few weeks in between, the first few weeks of August that I... Um, Was preparing to come here and thinking a lot about it and praying a lot about it during those few weeks, um, started to feel this deep sadness like riding in my car by myself, listening to worship, and coming to tears pretty heavily. And I'm like, Lord, what is going on? What is this about? And it became really clear to me that I was grieving. I was beginning to let go of Lapeer and starting to make room for something new. So it was like before my mind thought, I should do this, my heart had already begun to shift and make room so that I could begin to want to do this. So I came here August 23rd to worship and preach, and we had a really positive experience. And we just came open. We just wanted to come and say, Lord, speak to us through the interaction and feedback and relational experience. And we left that Sunday morning, both Meg and I, saying, man, it seems like God is in this. It seems like God could be in this. And so over the last couple months, as we've walked through uh, several more steps in this process, it seems like there's been a confirmation in the hearts of the elders in Lapeer and the elders here, and our executive team, that yeah, this is a good thing. It seems like this is how the Lord is guiding us. So now, here I am at the end of the grueling process with you guys, the most important part of this process. Um, And I do hope that you will share feedback with the elders, with Jonathan, with me. We want to hear from you. Positive, negative, it's all welcome. That's what this is about. And after the service today, I'm going to do a Q&A over lunch with our life group leaders, give them even more of a chance to get to know me and my family so they'll be be able to offer feedback as well. So that's a longer introduction than normal, but it's not a normal Sunday, and I wanted to give you some context leading up to my experience today. Um, and I, too, should have uh, mentioned our family as well. You guys saw um, Meg, my wife, of 13 years. Uh, we've been together. Uh, she's here this morning um, down front, and um, we have four children, as you saw. William is our oldest. He turns nine in just a couple of weeks, November 10th. I'm um, Our second child, uh, Charlie's here up front this morning, too. He just turned seven, October 16th. Um, And then Rume came third. Um, She's seven as well. Uh, We adopted her uh, four years ago in January. And then uh, our COVID caboose. (laughs) You know, we went into quarantine, and what else are you going to (laughs) do? Let's make a baby. So December 10th, 2020, About nine months after March 2020, (laughs) baby sage, and she is awesome. She is beautiful, and I look forward to you guys getting to know her. Um, But let's continue. Uh, Let's continue to worship the Lord together as we listen to His Word. John chapter 16 is where we are. John chapter 16, verses 4 through 15 is our passage of Scripture today, if you've been worshiping with us over the last couple of months, you know that John chapters 13 through 16 is the chapters of Scripture we're walking through. These chapters are famously known as the farewell discourse, because Jesus is getting ready to say farewell to the disciples. So he's using his last days, his last hours in this really intimate scene, caring for, ministering to, and instructing his disciples, and we are walking into the room with them to hear from the Lord Jesus in this most intense hour before he's betrayed, arrested, eventually crucified. You remember last week, um, Jesus, well, throughout this time, he's urged them that even though he's departing, even though he's leaving, his purpose for the disciples is to continue on. Um, They are to continue on bearing fruit. They are to continue on bearing witness to the gospel and be this community of love. And what a movement it was. Started in the Middle East and now across the world. Here we are in Southeast Michigan gathered in the name of Jesus because of the movement that started right out of this room. It's incredible. But even though this movement was to continue on, you remember last week, Jesus shared these sobering words that there's going to be opposition. This is not going to be easy. And so he spoke to them about the hatred of the world for Jesus and the hatred of the world for Jesus' followers. So they were going to minister to and share the gospel with a hostile crowd. However, this is what he's getting to today. There is going to be a helper. He is leaving them, but he is not leaving them. And that's where we pick up today. John chapter 16, verses 4 through 15. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of me asks you, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send the helper to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When was the last time someone left and their departure was painful for you? Maybe one of your children left for college or maybe they moved away for a new job. Maybe your spouse or another loved one was deployed for military service or maybe a good friend is being relocated to work, or maybe they're moving to help an aging family member. When was the last time someone left and their departure was painful for you? One of these experiences, one of these painful departures that's about to happen here and is unique to this context is Michigan snowbirds. Many of them are headed out to the Sunshine State. I've got some friends who are migrating to Texas for the winter. But very soon, if not already, they are departing. They are all just shamelessly going to leave us here to suffer. I'm just kidding. I'm happy for them. But it's hard to see your friends go. It's hard to lose the people you love. And a part of you is like, don't leave us. We need you. Life would be better and easier if you would just stay. Well, that's where the disciples are at. Jesus has made clear to him that his hour has come. He is about to depart. And where he is going, the disciples cannot come. His ministry is coming to an end. In fact, his life will come to an end. And that's the worst kind of separation that can happen, right? When we're separated from our loved ones through death, never to see them again, no longer to be in their presence. The disciples know that this pain of separation from Jesus, it's coming for them. And so throughout these chapters, they've asked Jesus, where are you going? Why can't we come with you? How can we know the way to you? And it's through these different questions that we can sense their anxiety is rising. As the hour of Jesus' departure draws near, the disciples are uncertain, they're confused, they're afraid, and Jesus can sense it in them too. He says here in verse 6, sorrow has filled your heart. Because a part of the disciples just wants to blurt out, don't leave us. We need you, Jesus. Life would be better and easier if you would just stay. But I want you to see how opposite Jesus sees this whole situation. A couple of chapters earlier in chapter 14, verses 27 through 28, Jesus says this. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be afraid. You heard me say to you that I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I am going to the Father. In other words, Jesus says to them, I've got good news for you all. Not only should you not be sad that I'm leaving, you should rejoice that I'm leaving. So you see how opposite Jesus sees this whole situation. And then listen again to what he says in our passage today, chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. He says something similar. He says, because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. In other words, it's better for you. It is to your advantage for me to leave than it is for me to stay. Now, imagine hearing this from one of the people who've left you before. For example, maybe a family member or a loved one is going to be sent overseas for military service, and you are heartbroken. But just before they leave, they say to you, hey... You shouldn't be sad. You should be happy. Rejoice. And it's like, wait, what? How is this consoling me right now? But that's exactly what Jesus says to these grief stricken disciples. He says, don't be troubled. If you love me, you would rejoice that I'm leaving. It is to your advantage that I'm leaving. That's how opposite. Jesus sees this whole situation. And here's what Jesus knows that the disciples don't yet get. Here's what Jesus understands that the disciples are still struggling with. By finishing his mission on earth, dying on the cross, rising from the grave, ascending to heaven, it's only by finishing that mission that Jesus is then able to send the disciples the Holy Spirit. It is only by finishing His mission of dying, rising, and descending that the risen, ascended King is then able to bestow upon His people the Spirit of the living God. This is what he started to explain back in John 14. It's what he continues to explain here in John 16. He is going to send his people his spirit. And the presence of the spirit is better than if Jesus' physical presence had remained. If you loved me, you would rejoice. It is to your advantage that I go because it's only in Jesus going, it's only in his leaving that he will eventually be sending his Holy Spirit upon us and within us. So, what does Jesus teach us here about the Spirit? How is the Spirit's presence better than His presence? Well, there's so much we could pull from these verses, but I've got a couple of things. First, the Spirit was sent to help believers, the Spirit was sent to to help believers. So look again at verse 7. Jesus speaks to the disciples, and he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, then the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus is saying that when he goes away and is enthroned in heaven at the Father's right hand, it is then that the disciples will benefit. They'll gain the advantage of his departure because he will then send his Holy Spirit. And he refers to the Spirit here as the helper. Other translations opt for the comforter or counselor or advocate, the Greek word is paraclete, and there's several nuances to how it can be used. But I think in the present context that what Jesus is getting at most is the Spirit's helping role as a legal advocate or counselor. And I think this because verse 7 that comes right after, I'm sorry, I say this because verse 7 comes right before verses 8 through 11 where Jesus explains how the Spirit convicts, the Spirit rebukes and prods the consciences of unbelievers. Verse 8 says that the Spirit was sent to convict the world concerning sin and judgment. Well, guess what? For believers, He does the opposite. He's our advocate. He's our counselor, not convicting us of our sin, but assuring us that despite our sin, We are the renewed, forgiven, beloved people of God. In Romans chapter 8, the apostle teaches something similar. In verses 14 through 16 of that chapter, Paul writes this. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you, Christian, did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, and it's by the Spirit that we cry out to God, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness to our spirit that we are the children of God. That right there in verse 16. The Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's the advocating, consoling work of the Spirit, assuring us deep in our hearts that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are the adopted children of God and we will never not be. The Spirit bearing witness to our spirit that we will never, by no power in heaven or on earth, we will never be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Can anybody testify that the Spirit has bore witness to your spirit, gifting you, with the kind of assurance that could only have come from heaven. Despite every mountain in your way, despite every obstacle, despite the power of temptation, and despite our many failures even, the Spirit of God ministering to us, advocating for us that we are His children. What an amazing gospel assurance that we have all by grace. You see, the disciples here are anxious, they're afraid, and they are sorrowful, but Jesus says, just wait. I am leaving, but I will soon be sending the helper, the counselor, the advocate who, despite the anxieties of life, will assure your hearts and provide you with a peace that surpasses understanding. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is over at a Pharisee's house and he's reclining at table for a meal. And it says that a, quote, woman of the city enters the party. And she starts washing with water and anointing with oil Jesus' feet. It's this great act of gratitude and service from her to him. And Jesus is criticized for allowing her to touch him. but Because apparently not only is She a city woman. She is a sinful woman. The Pharisees say, how could he let this sinner touch him? Well, after Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for their hypocrisy, Luke then tells us that Jesus looks at this woman and says to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, can you even imagine hearing that directly from the Lord? Broken by your sin, covered in shame, but Jesus, with clarity in his mind and compassion in his heart, speaks to you Your sins are forgiven. No more shame, no more guilt, no more condemnation, only freedom. Despite her brokenness, despite her reputation, Jesus goes on. He has more to say to her. He says, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus says to her, despite your reputation as a sinner, despite what everybody else thinks about you, here's what I say about you. You are saved. You can be at peace because you are at peace with me. I don't care what anybody else says about you. So do you see how Jesus is assuring her? Do you see how he's advocating, counseling her? Well, this is now the same ministry of the Holy Spirit to us, bearing witness to our spirits that we are forgiven, that we have peace with God, that we are the children of God. So I've got to ask you, is there shame in your life that speaks of your unworthiness is there anxieties in your life that speaks of your insecurities is there sadness in your life that speaks of your longing and emptiness well brothers and sisters this is the gospel Jesus has conquered death. He rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven. And from his heavenly throne, he has now anointed his people with the helper, the comforter, the advocate, the spirit of the living God. And he bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. Our sin speaks a word of shame and condemnation, but the spirit speaks a word of grace. The Spirit speaks a word of freedom and forgiveness. Our anxiety speaks a word of fear and uncertainty, but the Spirit speaks a word of assurance and confidence that we are the Lord's and He is ours. So I urge you, like that broken woman, come to Jesus and hear from Him the truth about your sin that it is forgiven. And like these anxious disciples, come to Jesus and hear from him the truth about your difficult circumstances, that it is going to be okay, and he will never leave you or forsake you. That's the gospel truth. And this is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. He gives us the advantage of being assured, even as we walk through the storms of life. But what else does Jesus say? Jesus says that it's to our advantage that He leaves and the Spirit comes because the Spirit helps us, and secondly, because the Spirit convicts the world. The Spirit was sent to convict the world. Again, I referred to these verses before, verses 8 through 11. The Spirit assures us, He comforts us, but when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And the idea here seems to be that the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of unbelievers to expose their sin. The idea here is that the Holy Spirit works in the lives of unbelievers to remove to unmask the facade of their so-called righteousness. The idea here is that the Holy Spirit was sent to show unbelievers the failure of their judgment about Jesus. The world counted Jesus worth crucifying. But when the Spirit comes, He will wake people up to this monumental failure. We crucified the Lord of glory. Because it's so easy to think, you know, I'm not that bad. I'm a good person. Sure, humanity isn't perfect, but we've got a moral compass that's inherently good. We just got to get the right form of government. We got to have better economic system, improve educational practices, and then we'll get back on track and stop killing each other. (laughs) Come on! Yeah, right! We've got millennia of evidence that that is not going to happen. We are in bad shape, and it's not our politics or economy or education that's the problem. It's us that's the problem. It's our sinful, selfish, rebellious hearts. But it's so easy. It's so easy to float through life and not acknowledge our depravity. Just sort of sleepwalk through blissfully unaware, conveniently not listening to our consciences, happily living for ourselves and ignoring our Creator. But Jesus says here, when the Spirit gets a hold of your life, it's like the light's come on. It's like you can finally see the shameful things we've done, the selfish acts we've committed, and the hypocrisy of our so-called righteousness. This role of the Holy Spirit to convict the world. And it made me think about what happens to each one of my kids every morning, especially our two boys. I walk into their rooms every day, 7 a.m. or so, and there they are, deep in sleep, way off in La La Land. And their blankets are keeping them warm and toasty. And the sound machine blocks out any upsetting noises, so cozy, so comfortable in their beds. And then, all of a sudden, The alarm goes off. The light comes on. The sound machine gets unplugged, and they got to face reality. It's time to get ready for school, guys. So what do they do? Of course, they hide. (laughs) But this is why dads are stronger than their kids, so that they can pull the covers off of the bed, and if necessary, peel their bodies directly off of the mattress, because they got to face facts. They've got to get a sense of urgency. No more hiding in the dark. No more drifting through sleepy town. Well, this is kind of a crass illustration, but I dare say that it is not unlike what the Holy Spirit does in our own lives and especially in the lives of unbelievers because we won't trust in Jesus for salvation until we know that we need salvation in the first place. Same for my kids. They won't wake up unless the alarm goes off and the lights go on. It's the same for the Spirit as He draws us to salvation, alerting us to the reality of our sin, waking us up to the ways that we have resisted God's loving Lordship over our lives, giving us a sense of urgency that we need to repent. We're worthy of judgment otherwise. And this is an advantage to us As we share the gospel with our non-believing friends and family members, we do so relying on the active work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. Christian, hear me, it is not ultimately up to you. It is not all up to you, who is saved and who is not. We are not responsible for the results of our ministry. We are simply called to faithfully carry out our ministry, bearing witness to Jesus and trusting Him to do the rest, the Spirit. So brother, speak of Jesus. Sisters, with boldness and courage, speak of Jesus, while at the same time, humbly, prayerfully, relying on this ministry of the Holy Spirit, to work in their hearts. And if you're here this morning and you are not a believer yet, if you are not a follower of Jesus yet, I wonder though, if his convicting work in your life has already begun. Has there been an increased awareness of your emptiness and the way that the things of the world cannot fill it? Has there been an increased awareness of shame because of the foolish things that you've done? If those alarm bells are going off, if light is exposing those things in your life, perhaps it is not by accident. Perhaps the Spirit of God is pursuing you. Perhaps He is convicting you, calling you to turn, to repent. To turn from your life of sin and make Jesus the center of your life. And I do so right now. By the authority of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, I call on you to trust in Jesus. Make him the center of your life. All of your sin, all of your shame, all of your anxiety, there is grace for your heart in his heart for you. There is love that flows for you from ever from the cross. I urge you to respond to the call of the Spirit right now. And if you do, you will then have the advantage of the Spirit to comfort you, to correct you, to keep you on the path of Jesus. Yes, it is true. He is not here. But praise God for that. It is better that he is not here because it is only in his leaving that he would then be sending his Holy Spirit who comforts us and convicts the world. Let's pray that he would do just that in our midst. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Church, let's stand as we prepare to respond to God's word together, have a moment of silent reflection, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come before you in the name of the risen Christ, the exalted one, the anointed king, who now in his mercy has bestowed upon us, who has anointed us with his very presence, the spirit of the living God. Father, I thank you for the pursuing powerful work of the Holy Spirit that has drawn us together as a church We thank you, God, for the good news of your grace and love through Jesus. That announcement has created this church and drawn us together. So we worship you, Father. We thank you, God. I pray, Lord, for any of your children here who don't feel like your children. I pray for any of your people here who are suffering from crippling anxiety. I pray for any of your people here who are smothered in shame that the consoling, advocating work of the Spirit would happen now in their lives. God, grant to us, your people, the deepest kind of assurance that you love us, that you're with us, that we're forgiven. Speak to your children now, God. Bear witness to our spirits by your Spirit of who we are in Jesus. And Father, I pray for any here who are running from you. I pray for any here who are hiding from you, that you'd continue to track them down. I pray, Father, that your light would shine brighter than ever, exposing the darkness of sin, lighting up those places that have been hidden in their lives maybe for years. Do this great work of convicting the world as it concerns sin, and righteousness and judgment do this God for your glory's sake so that your church may grow so that your church may be edified we pray for it here in Royal Oak pray for it for our brothers and sisters in Lapeer pray for it Father across this region from China and India and Indonesia and wherever God come and do a great thing for the glory of Jesus we pray in his name Amen. Amen. Church, let's continue to sing and celebrate.